From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler show you what it takes to become a top 10% performer in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers co-hosted by Dr. Kathy Greenberg, and I'm Dr. Relly Nadler. Kathy and I are your leadership development coaches. We have helped thousands of leaders and executives to perform in the top 10%. In today's show, we're going to feature Dr. Ron Brathman. He is the co-author of a very popular best-selling book called Sway, The Irresistible Pull of Irrational Behavior. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Brathman. Uh, he holds a doctoral degree in psychology. He is the co-author of Sway, The Irresistible Pull of Irrational Behavior. And he wrote this book with his brother, Ori. And Ori is an organizational consultant. We'll find out a little bit about how they came up with this and how they work together later when we bring uh, Dr. Brafman on. He is interested in topics of resilience, empowerment, and transformation. And their manifestation in how an individual in individual and interpersonal dynamics. He's also interested in decision-making, which is a lot of what this book is about, and the decision-making process and the psychological forces that underlie irrational behavior. Dr. Braffman is in private practice in Palo Alto. And you know that Kathy and I, we always want to bring you the best in current leadership topics, interviews with proven leaders, and we want to provide evidence-based best practices to help you develop more leaders in your organization. We also know um, why we talk about leaders so much, that leaders are the heartbeat of the organization. Most leaders, though, underestimate just how much influence they have over others, and thus they and their teams can underperform. And from these interviews, if you can just get a few things that you can do differently, that can drastically improve your performance uh, and your organization's. On these uh, shows that Kathy and I do, a variety of topics that we talk about, uh, how to develop leaders in the organization, what happy companies know about performance, emotional intelligence and positive psychology strategies, brain and neuroscience, generation and gender differences, work-life balance, self-management tools. Those are just some of the topics that we talk about. And before we bring on Dr. Braffman, what we want to be able to do is just tell you a little bit about some of the evidence-based. Why do we talk about leaders? Well, leaders we know have 50 to 70% influence over the climate of their team. And one of the reasons that is is that emotions are contagious. We like to say that the leaders are the emotional thermostat for their team. And the key to being a star performer, which we define as someone being in the top 10%, is emotional intelligence. As a leader moves up the corporate ladder, anywhere from 67% up to 85% of their competencies for success are in emotional intelligence when compared to either IQ or technical expertise. So the emotional intelligence is the key that, that lets them move up the corporate ladder. And we also know why do we want to focus on leaders. If we can get you and your leaders into the top 10%, 
you will produce twice as much revenue to the organization as leaders or managers in the 11th to the 89th percentile. Both Kathy and I are executive coaches, and when you bring coaching um, on top of training, training is really important for productivity, and research shows that you can get about a 22% increase in productivity. But if you can bring coaching along with training, you get about an 88% uh, bump in productivity. And you can increase profit in your company by creating some of these coaching networks in your company. So even within a day, you can create these networks that can help. And if you're interested in more information from Dr. Kathy Greenberg, she can be reached at www.h2cleadership.com for her happiness books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership and coaching services. And if you're interested in me, Dr. Rowan Adler, uh, I can be reached at www.truenorthleadership for some free emotional intelligence assessments, books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership and coaching boot camps. And uh, Dr. Braffman, welcome to the call. Thank you. It's great to be here, Riley. Well, it's good to uh, to have you here. And I'll, uh, Dr. Braffman, I'm going to call you Rom here. But let me tell you, uh, let me say a little bit more about your background and also about your brother, and then we have a series of questions that we'll um, check in on. Is that okay? Yeah, it sounds good. Okay. <clears throat> so I mentioned about Dr. Braffman's uh, background, but he wrote this book with his brother, and we'll ask him a little bit about that collaboration. And uh, his brother, Ori, lectures internationally in front of Fortune 500 uh, government and military audiences. He's also a... a uh, He's also continuing his lifelong commitment to helping nonprofit causes by serving on many boards. One is a home within and the Plexus Institute. Ori enjoys facilitating interpersonal dynamic groups for business leaders, and he holds an MBA from Stanford. So um, Ron, a licensed psychologist, and Ori, an MBA from Stanford. So a really nice combination. And when they've teamed up to write Sway, um, as they say, it was one of the easiest decisions they ever made. Um, they collaborated on other writing. And why this collaboration works so well, Ori is a natural storyteller. In ancient times, he would have been a guy sitting around the campfire relating legends. And Ram weaves in psychological insights in ancient times, and he would have given advice and interpreted dreams. But their cooperation goes back a long way. In elementary school, they picked each other's brains when they had to come up with creative ideas for a project. In high school, they used each other as sounding boards for advice in making tricky decisions. We'll ask uh, Ram about that. And in college and graduate school, they shared anecdotes from their respective fields, business and psychology. They bounced ideas back and forth uh, to come up with theories, talking late into night, and this laid the foundation for Sway. So, Rob, maybe we'll, let's jump in with this and, and ask a little bit more about just the, the relationship with you and Ori. Not every sibling gets along so well, but it sounds like you two do, and maybe kind of we'll jump in from there um, about just this collaboration with you and Ori. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, like every uh, brother um, relationship, we had our share of uh, uh, conflict and, and uh, brotherly rivalry, you know, during our early years. Um, but once we... Um, started college and and started really looking at each other not only as brothers but also as as friends. We saw that we make a really good team together. That um, we're able to look at each other's blind spots and be uh -huh. able to 
complement one another. And what happened with the book writing is neither one of us really saw a career in writing when we first started our collegiate careers. And then almost reluctantly, my brother got into, pulled into this uh, writing project when he wrote his first book, The Starfish and the Spider. And as he started writing it, I kind of joined along. And we saw that our collaboration together worked really well. And the thing that we do, and maybe because we are brothers, we can be really blunt with one another mm-hmm. and say, but what about this and what about that? And as a result of that, I think it helps us get to look at stuff from a deeper perspective. And I bring in the psychology element. You know, I'm the psychologist, and my brother is the MBA, so he brings in more of like the business perspective. So a lot of times we would have conversations, and he would say something about a business situation, and then I'd say, well, psychologically, um, how about this element? And then he would go, oh, how would you relate it to this? And then I I would say, well, from his psychology seems to me this way. Um, what about the business thing? And before we know it, after like two or three hours of conversation, we have this new model of way of seeing things. And that's also what led us to want to ride Sway together. Uh-huh. Um, well, this is just fascinating. Your book is fascinating. We'll kind of uh, pick in into this. Now, between you and Ori, who's the older one? I'm the older one. I'm two years older than him. You're two years older. And okay. I remind him of that every time we get into like a disagreement. <laughs> uh, that's great. Well, exactly what you're saying. You know, I'm a psychologist also, and and when I first started my company, True North Leadership, for about seven years, I had a partner who was an MBA, and mm-hmm. so just exactly like you're saying, the the complement. It's almost like you look at the same situation with two different sets of eyes, but are very complementary. Yes, yes, and it, it's it's really interesting when. Um, you say something that you know, like you've known for years, and for the other person, it's like, oh wow, I never thought about it that way. And then <laughs> vice versa, also, they'll say something. Oh, I didn't know it was like that. Uh-huh. And so, like, all these new worlds open up. That's great. Now, now, where where did the where were the two of you raised? Um, we were uh, born in Israel, uh-huh. in a suburb of Tel Aviv, uh-huh. and we write in the book in Sway, like in the introduction, that growing up. Um, our mom always looked up to um, Laura Ingalls of Little House on the Prairie fame as an inspiration for what her kids would be like, very respectful, very thoughtful. Um, and we lived up to some of those standards and some we didn't. But there was always a sense of um, the adventure or the, the knowledge or being able to look at things from a new perspective. And when I was 11, we moved from Israel to El Paso, Texas, of all places. Okay, yeah. Because my father went there to complete his uh, engineering degree. Huh. And that that just opened up the door to a whole new cultural experience. Sure. And it was a culture shock for a while. But it really helped both of us look at things from different perspectives and question a lot of assumptions of why people act in ways and specifically what is rational and what is irrational. Something that would have been completely fine in Israel all of a sudden was inappropriate in, to do in Texas um, or vice versa. And so it, it really gave us a really nice way yeah. of being able to observe the world from different angles. Uh-huh. Well, I could certainly see that, especially <clears throat> the enculturation, and I think as we get into some of the principles that are in your book's way, you know, that people learn certain things and then it's hard for them to change. And then so you were thrown into a whole other environment where you were forced to not only adapt, but then probably also, like you say, question and, and wonder why. Yes, yes. And uh, initially it was, it was overwhelming, 
But I think the good thing that came out of it is not only did we get a whole new cultural experience and appreciation for like the Mexican-American culture and, and the Texan culture, but also to be able, like if somebody throws me off, to be able to say, okay, I've been thrown off before, um, and it can actually be a really pleasant experience. Afterwards, that so you look back and you say, "Wow, look! Look how much I've learned and how I can see things differently." Uh huh. Now, where did you um, where did you go to school for your doctorate? I went to the University of Florida uh-huh. and to their counseling psychology program, and had the privilege of working with uh, Dr. Franz Epting, who's uh, my advisor, and learned a lot also about human communication and how to use power effectively. And, you know, you talk a lot about emotional intelligence. And I think that even psychologists take that for granted. And it's one of those, it's, emotional intelligence is so powerful. And how do you use your power as a leader, as a, as a therapist, as a business leader even, in a way that is emotionally intelligent and also humanistic and helpful? Okay, good, good. Um <clears throat> We're going to go to a, a break, Rom, right now. But when we come back, we're going to maybe zero in on some of the people who have been influential, could be your advisor and others, and then we'll get into some of the specifics about your book. And uh, we're talking with Dr. Uh, Rom Brathman, the author of Sway, Irresistible Pull of Irrational Behavior. Great great title there. So maybe we'll ask you how that came up, too. So we'll be right back. Thanks. Bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50 to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Dr. Greenberg, co-author of What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Women Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical training for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy herself is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group training, 
and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch her at the Governor's Conference for Women nationally and as spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America throughout 2009 for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results. To learn more about adding Kathy and Happy Company's healthy people to your team, visit Kathy at h2cleadership.com. That's h2cleadership.com. Homeowners, real estate investors, bankers, listen up and tune in to Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight, the show that breaks it all down and gives it to you straight. Are you at risk of foreclosure? Interested in buying a foreclosed property? Mark Bull has the answers to the questions you might forget to ask. Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight broadcast live on the Voice America Business Channel Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific. You can't afford not to tune in. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. We're talking with Dr. Braffman, who wrote the book Sway. For our listeners, it's a fascinating book. We'll get into specifics. It's a good read. It's got some great stories, great examples. Um, The Irresistible Pull of Irrational Behavior. And so, uh, Ron, before we get into some of the principles in there, we always like to ask folks, who's been some of your most influential people uh, for you as, as a leader or the, a thinker about human behavior? Yeah, two, two people come to mind, and one of them was my graduate school advisor, and his name is Franz Epting. And what he taught me, what I learned from him, is to view another person's reality from the other person's perspective. Hmm. So a lot of times we meet people and we say, um, you know, I may agree with you on this topic, but I really disagree on that topic. And when we look at it even further, we say, how could anyone hold this belief system, or how can you really think about that? And what Dr. Epting looked at was the different constructs that people have. And all of us have different constructs, and all of us see the world in slightly different ways, and sometimes it's not so slightly different. And one of the things that I learned that has stayed with me is when I interact with other people and I don't see things from their perspective, to really force myself to put myself in their shoes and to say, if I had to kind of get inside their head, how would I make sense of the situation? How could, how could I understand the world from their perspective? And even if I disagree with the way they're seeing things, just the process of doing it helps me understand them better mm-hmm. and help me understand myself better rather than just sort of branding them or labeling them as, oh, they don't get it or they're ignorant. And that's just something that comes up on a daily basis for me as a psychologist yeah. and as a therapist. And it, it's really useful. For, and for the other person, then they're saying, like, wow, this person really gets me, and they're able to see yeah. where I'm coming from. Um, one of the things that, that we've talked about and one of the key things I think you're, you're alluding to here is just around empathy. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, when you break that down, this idea of understanding uh, others' perspective. And then when we teach empathy to uh, leaders, just like you're saying, how do you understand, uh, how do you see others' perspectives? Well, the only one they know that, and I know you've been trained in, in listening like I have, you have to say their perspective. So it's usually a play on words, but to see someone's perspective, you have to be able to say their perspective. Otherwise, they keep giving you their perspective until you, they know you got it. The only way they know you got it, typically, is when you can say it. Exactly, and it's almost like you've been uh, reading my mind here, Rally, because the <laughs> other person I was going to mention was Carl Rogers. Oh, okay, good. And and uh, you know he's one of the first people to really come out and advocate for for empathy, and that goes exactly with what you're saying. That we underestimate, we routinely underestimate the power of empathy. Uh-huh. And whether I work with clients or whether I talk to to my friends or or to business people. When somebody really feels like, oh, my God, this person gets me, you, you really get an entrance pass into the world. Yeah. They start opening up. They start being real. Their defenses go down. And it's pretty easy to do empathy, like you're saying, you know, to be able to listen and to be able to, to relate it back and make sure you get the other person. Uh-huh. But we take it for granted. Yeah. So a lot of times we, we don't even realize that we're not being empath- empathic. Yeah. Well, it's a great skill because then what we're trying to do for the, our listeners, which are many folks in organizations, you know, giving them some some tips. And I think, you know, in your training, my training, but for any any leader or a coach, that empathy is so important. And we talked a little bit about one of the values uh, of Barack Obama. And I think just like you're saying, from Europe, going from Israel to Texas and other than Florida, and the sense of empathy that he has. Um, by being biracial, bicultural, but if you listen to it, what is it? He constantly is telling people what their perspective is, you know, that I got it. I, I know you you don't agree with me. I know right now the Republicans may not go along with this. And it really does take the wind out of a lot of, of all the argument. I think otherwise you keep getting their perspective. Completely, right? Because, I mean, you know, if we place ourselves in the shoes of Barack Obama, um, it would be really easy to get frustrated yeah. and, and to la- lash out on the other side and to say, they're, they're, you know, they're being bad and they're, they're causing it, you know, causing things to get stuck and, and they're being difficult. Um, but that only creates even further conflict. Right. And it, it's really difficult to, you know, whether it's in the office or in, you know, working with the family or, or anything, to be able to step aside and to say, okay. I may disagree with you, but I get, I get your point. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's good. So your your advisor and then Carl Rogers, especially with what we're talking about with some of the empathy. And then, so let's talk a little bit about your book, Sway. Um, how did the ideas of that come about? I know you have, have that uh, in some of the introduction stuff, but maybe you can let our audience know. How did the ideas come about? And then, then this collaboration of your brother I'm very interested in. You know, did you each write? parts of it um, or just all do it all together so let's start with the first question how did it come about um it really you know the origins of it started in graduate school that while ori was getting his mba i was getting my phd in psychology and anytime there was something interesting that we would learn in the class or anything interesting that a professor would say we'd call each other up um, Mm. late at night and share that information and one of the things that we found, like one of the common denominators, is a lot of the interesting things is why people react irrationally. What causes otherwise perfect, perfectly logical, perfectly competent people to make irrational decisions? 
and my brother would come in and say, look, there's a case of an airline, um, an airline company that would let its planes just operate without a good braking system. And obviously there was a lot of problems caused by that. What were they thinking? And then I would start scratching my head and saying, how does that tie into what I'm learning about psychology? Mm -hmm. And we never thought that those conversations were going to lead to a book. Uh But after we graduated, all of a sudden the opportunity presented itself to say, well, let's delve into that and let's see what other people have been saying and let's see what we know and let's look at all the stories and examples and anecdotes and research and weave them together. Well, what's so fascinating about this, and I and I tell you, your your book is full of great uh, examples. Uh, as a executive coach, uh, psychologist, organizational consultant, um, how do people make decisions? And I know we'll talk a little bit about the, one of the things we're talking about is group dynamics. Mm-hmm. But most organizations, um, one of the processes that's the most important that goes unexplored is is the executive process. How does this team of individuals come together and make decisions? And they look at every other process, the sales process, the uh, uh, manufacturing process, you know, how do they get orders out, whatever their business is, but typically they don't look at the executive process. So yeah. we'll get into, into that, but how did you actually write it? Do you each share a chapter together and then go back and forth, or, or do you each do a separate part, and then we'll get into some of the principles? Yeah, I mean, this is a really good question, really, and actually... I think this is the first time, or at least one of the first times that, that anybody ever asked us about the process itself. Yeah. And we tried different things, and usually what we do is both of us need to be in the same room, and we write it together. Um, it just seems like when one of us writes something, it loses its voice. It it just takes, like, you have, like, the business only or the psychology right. only. And so sometimes... Um, my brother would talk, and I would type as he's talking, and then I'm um, throwing my own thoughts, and sometimes we would talk together, yeah. and then one of us would write, and, and then ping-pong it with the other. Yeah. So we found that we, we really have to be present together and working on it together in order for it to, to really encapsulate and capture everything that can, what both of us bring to the table. Well, that's a great process. It shows how, how close you and your brother are. So it truly is a, a shared voice versus... I'll do this one section. You edit it. Um, you know, it's kind of a, it's a shared voice versus kind of an add-on voice. Yeah, we kind of joke that you know it's like a monster with two heads. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> like great. Siamese twins um, coming together. So um, it's it's that's yeah that's what because we tried it the other way and it just yeah it lacked that. Okay. Well, so um, you have a lot of different principles uh, in sway and then some great examples. So the first one. Uh, is this phenomena of loss aversion, and how does it affect important personal decisions and and business decisions that we make? So th- there's a great story that we wrote about in the book, and and we explored it, and it's about a airline pilot, a captain, and his name is Jacob Van Zanten, and he was the head of safety at KLM Airlines, and. Jacob Van Zanten was one of those pilots that everybody looked at as the the pilot, the knowledge center. And he was flying a plane from Holland to the Canary Islands. And it was a routine flight. Everything, you know, everything started out okay. But then his plane got routed to a much smaller airport in the Canary Islands because there was a bomb scare in his destination.
destination airport. So he was flying this jumbo jet, then he had to basically land it in this small regional airport. And all the other airplanes um, going to that airport had to go to the small airport as well because the airport was closed because of the bomb scare. So Van Zanten goes, okay, fine, you know, we'll do a landing. He did the landing just fine. But he started being really, really concerned because time was running out, and he knew that if he doesn't get his plane back in the air soon, he would have to take a mandatory rest period. And according to Dutch law, after a certain amount of hours, the crew had to take a mandatory rest. Well, that was going to cause a lot of problems for, for KLM Airlines because then they would have to find... Um, hotel rooms for all the passengers, and the plane would be deserted, and it's a small airport, and it would just cost a lot of money and cause a lot of problems. So as, can you, as you can imagine, Van Zanten being the um, thoughtful and, and, and um, persistent person that he is, he said, I'm going to try to do everything I can to get out of this airport ASAP. And so he refueled his plane. He called the headquarters. He did everything he could. But there was one delay after another delay after another delay. Finally, the airport, um, the main airport got open, and he got clearance from his regional airport to take off. And as he was going to start the takeoff procedure, the fog started rolling in. And he knew that he he was now in a race against the fog, that if he doesn't take off on time, he's just going to get stuck on the and the runway. So he started taking off and his co pilot said, Wait a minute, we don't we don't have the final clearance yet and he goes, Okay, go ahead and ask. And so the co pilot asks for clearance and he gets the flight clearance. And and, and Ron, let me let me stop you here just because we're gonna the reason is uh, we go to a break, but just to hold sure. the suspense. Sure, sure. I I know the story and I don't think our listeners do. So we'll come back and in, uh, in just a minute and we'll hear you know what happened with uh, Van Zanten and the KLM uh, air, airplane. All right, we'll be right back. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50 to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. 
Dr. Greenberg, co-author of What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Women Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the Happiness Equals Profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical training for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy herself is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group training, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch her at the Governor's Conference for Women Nationally and as spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America throughout 2009 for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results. To learn more about adding Kathy and Happy Company's healthy people to your team, visit Kathy at h2cleadership.com. That's h2cleadership.com. Adding fractions is nothing. For real? Look, these are denominators. You multiply this one so that it's the same as that, then you add them up. Man, that's easy. Charles Bennett dreamed of returning to the old neighborhood as a teacher. But without money for college, only half of his dream came true. He's back in the old neighborhood. Well, enough math. i got to deliver these sandwiches. Please support the United Negro College Fund. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. A message from the UNCF and the Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Ron Braffman, Dr. Ron Braffman, the co-author of Sway, The Irrational Pull of Irrational Behavior. We broke away just as he was telling the story about the KOM uh, and Van Zanten, the pilot who is the head of safety, and I know we're getting the build-up to some irrational behavior. So, Ron, why don't you t- continue with us there? You were saying that the fog was rolling in. fog was rolling in, and Van Zanten uh, was very anxious to get off the, the runway and, and kind of take off, get back in the air. Um, didn't have clearance. He got um, flight clearance, and he got so antsy that he basically said, "We're going," and he took off. And he took off, um, and thought that he was gonna be able to make it. But all of a sudden, it was in the middle of the runway. He sees the worst thing that he could ever imagine: another airplane parked on the runway. And it was too late to stop the plane. He knew that he couldn't swerve. The best thing that he could do was try to take off early and try to miss the plane. And he tried to do that. There were sparks um, flying as his tail um, hit the concrete of the runway. And Van Zanten almost, almost made it. But unfortunately, he the fuselage crashed into the other plane that was parked there. And Van Zanten and everyone in his plane ended up dying because of the collision. And it was such a disaster. It was such an unfortunate disaster. And people couldn't believe that somebody like Van Zanten would make such a crucial rookie basic error. 
and investigators try to understand why did it take off. And the best way we can try to understand what happened with Van Santen is to tap into what economists call loss aversion. And loss aversion is our tendency to overreact to prospective losses. In Van Santen's case, the loss of what the prospective loss of what would happen if he stayed on the ground was so overwhelming that it overrode his basic logical rational way of being. Van Zanten knew that if he was on the ground, they would have to find hotel rooms for all the passengers, that there would be a lot of delays, that the airplane would be sitting on the runway doing nothing for at least a day. And those losses were so ingrained in his brain that he said, I'm going to do almost everything in order to mm-hmm. try to escape that loss. And we do that all the time. Even in business, people say, oh, my God, I'm going to incur a loss here if I fire this person. Um, I'm going to incur a loss here if I give up on this project. And what we do is we try to make up for that loss instead of thinking rationally and objectively about what would be the best thing to do. So we end up chasing a loss and trying to fix a loss rather than thinking about what's in my best interest. Well, that's a, uh, you know, a fascinating story. And I know in the book you said there were, there were 584 people killed. And was that between the two, two planes? Were there people in the other plane at the end of the, end of the runway? Yes, everybody on Van Zanten's plane um, passed away and then some people on the plane that was hit on the ground. Um, and, and the idea that he was the head of safety and had an you know, unblemished record. And I think the other thing you're saying, that even the, the blemish of uh, being late you know, and not having an on-time uh, arrival was one of the other p- pieces. You know? And then here it was, obviously, no one, no one arrived. Exactly, exactly. And actually, when Van Zanten's plane um, crashed. Initially, they didn't know Van Zanten was there, and they were even going to call Van Zanten to get oh. his input on what might have happened. Is that right? No one, no one imagined that Van Zanten was going to make such a real yeah. mistake. When did, when did this take place? Because I don't remember this. That was yeah. That was um, a few decades ago, back in the mid seventies. Okay. And what they've done as a result of that, NASA actually developed a program to teach pilots how to avoid irrational behavior uh-huh. and how to avoid situations like this um, by being a lot more methodical, by taking other people's input into perspective, and to continuously question yourself, am I really doing the best thing? And what risks am I taking that I may not be aware of? Uh-huh. Well, you know, on the other side, you know, at least what's in the news now is, is the uh, Hudson River uh, landing with, uh, you know, Captain uh, Sully, I guess he's called. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so I guess some of this training and things that you're talking about allowed him in, in, in that crisis moment to really make a, ra- a more rational decision. Yes, and actually, um, believe it or not, one of the things that started because of the incident with Van Zanten was what they call crew resource management. And uh, this uh, heroic captain actually was one of, of the leader trainers of crew resource management. So I'm not sure exactly how much of it is responsible for his kind of keeping cool under, under right. fire there, but um, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it played a role in that. Huh. Okay, well that's uh, you know just a great example of what you're saying. And uh, what are some of the other? Let's go through maybe a couple of the other you know key principles of why people make um, irrational decisions and have irrational behavior. I know they all interplay, and probably the more you get together, the, the more rational may be the decision. What what are some of the others? So one is loss aversion. Mm-hmm. 
Another one is commitment. Okay. That once I've started on a certain road, it's very difficult to reassess what's going on and do things differently. So, you know, young employees know that all the time, that they go into a new company and they say, you know what, how about we do things differently? And the reaction that they get, right. you know, all the time is, well, but we've always done it this way. And it can be so frustrating because, well, just because it's always been done that way doesn't necessarily mean it makes sense. But we like routine. We like continuation. And it's very difficult to stop doing something halfway and to say, wait a minute, does that really make sense? So that's the principle of uh, commitment is very big, especially when you tie it in with loss aversion. Okay. Um, another one that we talked about is value attribution. And what that means is that when we see something new or we see someone new, there's a lot of value that's associated with that person. Um, whether, for example, let's say that you meet a coworker and maybe he's not dressed too well and maybe he looks really tired. Um, and the immediate value is, well, maybe he's not taking his job that seriously mm-hmm. or maybe he, you know, something's going on in his life. And because of that initial value attribution, that sticks in our brain. Mm. And no matter what this person says or does, it's always going to be clouded with that initial value attribution. Um, I you know, talked to one person who works in a company, and she said there was a sales guy who got hired. And he came to the interview, just he dressed really sharp. And so she couldn't help but think whatever comments that he made, oh, yeah, that's that sharp-dressed man. <laughs> Who knows what he's talking about? <laughs> now, from a rational perspective, just because somebody has a good right. taste in clothes doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to yeah. um, you know, be outstanding contributors, but it's really difficult to separate our initial assessment from later on what that person says or does. Right, right. Well, I remember uh, studying this in social psychology, and you probably saw it also, it's very similar to the value attribution is this perceived expertness. And so mm-hmm. when when a uh, psychologist is in private practice, if they look, if they're dressed well and they have their license or certificate on the wall, all that adds to what you're saying is this uh, value attribution. Exactly, exactly. And the thing to do is to second-guess that, that um, whether it's in a positive way or in a negative way, yeah. to say, let me listen to what the person is actually saying and evaluate it objectively rather than just assume that, that what they're saying is right or wrong based on my initial impression of them. You know, uh, one of the things that I think adds this values attri- attribution, I tell you in my, my book, Leaders Playbook, this values attribution I, I call snapshot management, which I think you're underlying that concept and the snapshot means in, in four or five snapshots when someone sees someone, if they look the same, they're sharp, they have an answer, a lot of these snapshots happen in meetings in people in organizations because that's when people have the view of them. Um, and if these snapshots are positive, they're in a great, uh, great shape. If some of these snapshots and four or five of them typically, if they look the same and some of those are negative, that becomes an uphill battle with someone that I end up coaching because that's that value attribution, that snapshot of them, even though it may not be real, like you're saying, it gets crystallized. And from a coaching standpoint, I have to tell someone, if I say, well, of these snapshots of you, these value attributions of you, how many are positive? And sometimes they'll say, I don't know, maybe three. 
And then I know if they're saying three, maybe it's only two in reality because they're a self-report. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's an uphill battle because they may be great for three months, great for six months, great for nine months. And if anything happens similar to that original, those original snapshots, people go, oh, there you go, person's never changed. Exactly, exactly. And as humans, you know, our brains can handle only so much information. Right. And so we have all these shortcuts to try to make sense of it. And sometimes we've we got to use those snapshots in some ways. We've got to use those shortcuts. Otherwise, yeah. we have to reinvent reality every moment. But a lot of times we over-rely on them. And because of that, we're not open to new experience, to new data. Uh-huh. And that's the challenge of people who are executives, people who are leaders, that, yeah, you have experience, but how do you keep fresh at the same time? How do you listen to the wisdom that you know and at the same time be open and, and be able to see things from new perspectives? And that, that's a really difficult balance to keep going. Yeah. Well, that's, this is great. We're going to now try to take some of these principles when we come back from the break and, and apply them to some of the key issues that we may uh, go on in organizations. This is Leadership Development News, and we'll be right back. Bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50 to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Dr. Greenberg, co-author of What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Women Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical training for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy herself is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group training, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch her at the Governor's Conference for Women Nationally and as spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America throughout 2009 for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results. To learn more about adding Kathy and Happy Company's healthy people to your team, visit Kathy at h2cleadership.com. That's h2cleadership.com. Dad, let's 
sing that bedtime song? Rockabye baby by Newton's treetop. His first law of motion makes sure you won't stop. The same rules of physics apply to a ball. While gravity is a force that makes things fall. By the sixth grade, many girls lose interest in math and science. But it's never too early to set your daughter's future in motion. For some simple ideas, go to girlsgotech.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Girl Scouts of USA and Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with uh, Dr. Ron Brothman, one of the co-authors of Sway, The Irresistible Pull of Irrational Behavior. And, uh, Ron, before we get into a couple of the other principles and the application, how can people f- either get a hold of the book or if they want to get some more information from you, uh, how do they get a hold of you? Um, the, our website is uh, swaybook.com, so you can go on there and um, find out more information about me or Ori. Um, your book is also available on Amazon, and um, most local, local uh, bookstores also carry it. Okay. And swaybook.com is their website. Yes. yes. All right. You have a couple other uh, aspects just as in the book. Uh, in group dynamics, you talk about the blocker, and maybe you can say a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, so, you know, every team, every group has um, different personalities, obviously. And one psychologist was able to actually narrow it down to four different types of personalities. One is the initiator. Initiator is the person in the group who's always optimistic, always wants uh, things to get done, always comes up with new ideas. Um, another one is the supporter. The supporter is always um, looking to one side or another and saying, okay, yeah, I agree with him or I agree with her. Then you have the observer. The observer tends to kind of stay outside a bit and and just make observations and say, oh, it seems like, um, you know, we're not making progress here, or it seems like we can do this better. And then you have the blocker. The blocker is the archival or the opposite of the initiator. So whereas the initiator always wants to do new things and, and try out new stuff, the blocker is a lot more reluctant. The blocker is the person who says, you know what, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, the blocker is the type of person who says, remember the last time something went wrong? I don't think we should do it this way again. And a lot of times what happens, the blockers get a bad rap. People don't like them. They kind of they bring the energy down. If you're throwing a party, you don't want to have a lot of blockers there because they're going to be like, oh, I don't know, this is not fun or this is not going to go well. They're always the pessimists in the group. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that psychologically, you've got to have a blocker on your team uh-huh. because the blockers give you a really good reality check. Right, right. And yeah. even if the blocker is wrong, yeah. knowing why he or she is wrong, gives you a lot of input and a lot of information. And when, exactly like you're saying, the, the blocker sometimes in a coaching situation, I'll deal with them, and, and, it, and you can call it devil's advocate, or some people are a natural contrarian. And I say, you know, that's, these are all great, exactly like you're saying, they make better decisions. 
does it always have to come from your mouth? <laughs> and so what I mean is by that is they, like you said, they get labeled. And if you can say, well, let me talk, let me put on the hat of the customer. What if the customer said this? So they bring in the view through the customer. Let me put the hat on our people. You know, they have to implement this. What if they did this? So they bring their idea through, their blocking idea, but they bring it through another stakeholder. And so then it's usually it's a little more palatable. Yes, yes. And, I mean, you're talking about tact and the importance of tact. Yes. Um, as a, as a, if I'm a leader, if I'm a manager in a company, and I have a blocker on my team, my first instinct is to try to get rid of that person or try to shut them up because everything I say, they're always like, well, this could go wrong and this could go right. wrong. But if Captain Van Zanten, for example, uh-huh. when we talk about the airline collision, if he had a blocker there who said, what are you doing? Yeah. You're risking everyone's life. That's when you want a blocker. And so it's, a blocker, they're really important. It's just they can be a big pain in the neck if we, look at, if we don't value what they bring or if they communicate themselves in a, in a raw way that, that it's difficult to hear. Okay, um, I'm just looking at the rest of a couple of our questions in our rest of our time. Trying to apply some of this, you know, we know what's been the big thing in the, in the news, Ram, is about layoffs and how that affects, um, you know, people's productivity. And just from maybe applying some of these influence strategies of Sway, what do you think is the best way to motivate someone who's being either furloughed or, or laid off from their job? You know, they basically keep them there, given that, you know, they're, it's not the loss of urgent, they're maybe seeing a real loss in themselves or, you know, losing days of work or, or coworkers losing their job. Yes, and, you know, these are difficult times, and, and they're, they're, it, 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 sometimes it's, it's, it's really difficult to navigate it. But I think what happens is that during good times, we always think that the good times are going to continue. You know, you remember in the late 90s, there was a sense with all the euphoria going on of this is a new economy, that we're not going to have recessions anymore. And now, basically 10 years later, we have the sense that this is going to be another Great Depression, that things are, quote-unquote, always going to be this way. And there's a certain fear that comes with that. There's a certain sense of hopelessness. And, you know, people in their personal lives feel that as well. You know, when somebody feels depressed, it seems like I'm always going to feel depressed. Uh And so when, you know, when the job situation is bad, it feels like it's always going to be like that. And I think the important thing to notice is to say, you know what, in a year or two or three from now, things are going to get better. And yes, this is a tough time. And yes, this is really hurtful that I don't have the job that I want to have or I might be in a really bad situation. But if I can just hang on there, if I can kind of tread water and try to do whatever I can to survive, there will be other opportunities. But things are not going to be as bleak now. Things are not going to be bleak a few months, a few years from now, as they seem right now. So some of this is the uh, what we know from optimism and Martin Seligman mm-hmm. seeing this as uh, temporary, um, you know, versus permanent. You know, that yes. this, this too will pass. Yes, yes, and and doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Doesn't mean it's not difficult. Doesn't mean it's not real. But to put things in perspective and to say, you know what, I've gone through difficult times before. I'll, I'll get through this as well. Yeah. Let me ask you this question, and this is it wasn't on what we had talked about, but know how emotions affect um, and the logic and decision making. One of the things from neuroscience that I've been fascinating with, and have gotten a couple of neuroscientists to say that when someone's frozen, you know, with emotions, let's say the amygdala hijack, 
that they are losing IQ points. And, and one neuroscience uh, scientist that we talked about uh, said it could be about one standard deviation in IQ, mm-hmm. you know, meaning about 15 IQ points mm-hmm. that people may in a temporarily, like we're talking about, lose that applies to their decision-making. Any kind of thoughts on that, um, Ram, that you see, you know, how emotions may paralyze this decision-making process around IQ? Yes, completely. I think that, you know, when you have loss aversion or when you have another thing that we talked about in the book is fairness, when you think things are not being done fairly, it just gets you, it takes away your reasoning skills, and it's almost like we regress and become little kids. So Vanzantin yeah. acted like a little kid saying, I want to take off now, and he threw a hissy fit <laughs> and, and took off tell. without thinking about it. Um, when we feel like something is not fair and we end up raising our voices or we get into fights, and yeah. in retrospect, we we'll scratch our heads and like, what happened? And I think you don't only lose IQ points, you also lose emotional intelligence yeah. points. And the thing to do is that what I try to do is if I think I might be having irrational um, factors going on in my life, I don't want to make any decisions. I don't want to send off any emails. I don't want to have any conversations. I want to say, okay, let me kind of detach myself until I can regain balance here. Uh Well, one of the things, and and again, this is from one of our interviews, uh, another psychologist, is what's called affect labeling. And when you can label what's going on for you, what emotion, I'm fearful, I'm this and that, all of a sudden it can reduce the amygdala uh, activity and bring back some of the cognitive functioning of the prefrontal cortex. So this affect labeling that it happens with, uh, that you do, I'm sure when you're in therapy, but that uh, listeners, leaders can do to just kind of normalize what someone's going through brings back some of those IQ points. Yes, yes. If you can, if you can catch it, and that's that's the hope that right. we have in the book is that if you're aware of it, then you can catch it, and then yeah. if you can catch it, and you say, "Oh my God, I'm just falling into this," then you can stand back and not be swept away by the river of uh, irrationality. Uh huh. Well, that's why that that awareness equals responsibility. If you've heard that, and others have heard that. Mm-hmm. If you're not aware of it, how are you going to? How can you do anything about it? Yeah, and a lot of times we don't even catch it. We don't even realize it. We look back and say, "Oh my God, that was a disaster." But what are the telltale signs? Yeah. And that's what we try to capture in Sway. Uh, that's great. Um, so this has really been uh, fascinating. And let me just ask you one quick question. Most of the stories, let's say like uh, the Van Zanten, the, you know, examples, how did, were those just researched or how did you come up with some of those? Because you have really got great examples that our listeners should, should buy the book to hear. Yeah, thanks. Those, those are some of them I heard about in graduate school or my brother heard in seminars that he I was see. taking. And some of them we did through research or just things that we happened to hit upon, um, just like reading books or looking at articles. And we just kept a list, and a growing list of all the different examples and, and uh, put it all together. That's great. Well, thank you, Ron, very much. And we've been talking with Dr. Ron Braffman, co-author of Sway, The Irresistible Pull of Irrational Behavior. You can go to the website, uh, www.swaybook.com, to get the book. And uh, it's also at all the bookstores and, and Amazon. So, Ram, thank you very much. This has been great. Thank you, Rally. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been fun. And this is Leadership Development News, the Profiles and Practices of Star Performers. We'll be talking with you again next week. And thank you very much.
You've been listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers, with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you're leaving us today with some great ideas and inspiration from today's top leaders. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Business Channel. 